We are finishing up kind of third and final installment of conflict. We are getting to the resolution of conflict resolution as we get into how to forgive. I got to say, I was legit kind of intimidated going into this sermon, and it's such a big topic. Like, what is more kind of central to the gospel than forgiveness? And I wanted that. I was also nervous because I desperately want you to experience this. Right? My hope is healed relationships, not that you have a how-to manual, that now you, when you don't hear a good apology, you know how to correct them and tell them what a good apology is. That's not the hope, is to have a how-to. It's to experience healing and reconciliation. And again, that's where I know I'm not enough, so we pray that God moves as we look at forgiveness. I mean, this big topic... Like everybody on some levels, I think, still desires it and looks for it. I heard it from a philosopher this way, right? I mean, we all kind of uphold it, right? To err is human. To forgive is divine. That's a credit to a lot of different philosophers, but I heard it from Snoop Dogg, so that's who I'm giving credit to. If you get a chance to quote the D-O-double-G, you do it. And so I don't know who said it originally, but I know we have that posture, right? Man, we look to it. We uphold forgiveness. To quote somebody else you quote often, this, this quote I'm going to show you has been on my email for like a year. So any email I sent, this was attached to it about forgiveness. Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. Don't we all uphold it? And yes, that's great. Until you're actually looking at something you have to forgive. Right, so as I call us into that this morning, it's easy to turn around and say, yeah, but you don't know my boss. I'm not saying my boss, if Rick's here, hypothetically your boss, I'm just saying, right? But so yeah, but you don't, you don't know what it's like in my house, what I put up with every day. You don't know what it was like in my house growing up. You don't know what I went through. Forgiveness sounds nice until we're actually faced with it. Yeah, but you don't know what's been done to me, what continues to happen to me. How do we actually move towards that? Sounds nice. But I remember at my brother's funeral. Now, he was my brother, and I never qualified it but it wasn't until we were both teenagers we realized he was only my half-brother and nobody knew it. Part of it was his biological father never acknowledged his existence. Like, never during his life. But I remember in the funeral, he walks up to me and makes a joke about it and laughs. Well, <laughs> you know, I guess I should be here. Like, I can... The rage in that moment, I'm literally thinking through, can I get in a fight at this funeral right now? Right? So we can talk about it. It sounds nice, but, man, how do we actually do this? How do we walk in forgiveness? I mean, he died young. What about the person who's responsible for his death? Do I just let that go? Yeah, my brother's dead. Hey, no worries. I forgive you. What does it actually look like biblically? So I want to start as we dive into that. Okay, I don't want to take it for granted. What is forgiveness? As we're called to do this as Christians, 
But I also want to look at what it isn't and how do we do it. I know it's difficult. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what's been done to you. But I know that this is God's road to healing, and I want this for you. So let's look at this together when we talk about it. How does Jesus, how does God define forgiveness? And I want to look at a parable together because I think it really gives us a great picture and to start to build our definition of forgiveness. We're going to be in Matthew 18. So you can read in your own Bibles or follow along on the screen as I read. Let's look at this passage together. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and, say a church, forgave him the debt. So this is a parable, but I think this gives us a great definition of what does it mean to forgive? And this is, I think, a good running definition. Forgiveness is renouncing of my right to repayment. You did something to me. You wronged me. I am owed because of that. There were damages because of the sin done to me. I have a right to repayment that I'll refuse. I renounce my right to repayment. And I love that it's financial because that's, I think, the clearest way to see it, right? Man, you wronged me. You owe me this. And I let it go. It's like if somebody wrecks into your car, to forgive them, to forgive that debt is to say, there's damage here. You don't have to pay. Me and you, we're square. Getting ready for this, uh, Tim Keller recently released a book called Forgive. And I knew this was coming, so I read it. And I prefaced that because he used a Ted Lasso quote, so now I feel comfortable to use a Ted Lasso quote. And there's a great scene in the show. Like his boss lied to him, sabotaged him. And then she finally confesses. And he stands up and says, I forgive you. You and me, we're okay. That's forgiveness. This thing you've done, I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm going to let go of my right to revenge. I'm not going to make you repay so I can reclaim the damage done to me. That's forgiveness. Letting that go. Renouncing that right. As you try to understand what it is, I think sometimes understanding the opposite of it, opposite of it also helps because I'm sure some of you know the parable continues, right? This king, and some of the details, I think it's so, the beauty of it is so simple, right? This king forgives this guy, this debt. That's probably the only thing you need to understand is, you know, when it says the talents and what number is that? We don't use talents. Like next time your friend owes you something, just Venmo him 10 talents, see what happens, right? We don't, we don't know what that is. And some people I love try to like figure out exactly the amount. I've heard anywhere from this massive debt is like $6 billion to like $200 billion. Now you start to feel the story a little bit more. Even those numbers were like pre-inflation numbers. 
That's pre like eggs costing $15 for a carton, right? So now that number's probably like trillions. So this king forgives this guy an impossible amount. Billions, trillions. And then the story doesn't stop there. After he forgives and lets go of this debt, this unforgivable amount, the parable continues. But when that same servant who went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And for that, just think maybe like $15,000, like legit amount, but nothing compared to what he was forgiven. And he's seizing him. He began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So this guy's forgiven just an unthinkable amount, turns around, and somebody offends him, and he goes and makes sure that guy pays it back. And then the king finds out, and he's like, are you kidding me? Are you for real right now? After what I just did, that's what you're going to do? And so as you look at the opposite of forgiveness, what is unforgiveness? It's reserving my right to repayment. For all you English majors, I know unforgiveness is not an actual word. I just learned that. I thought it was. It's not. Calm down, take a deep breath. You get the point, right? Forgiveness is renouncing my right. Unforgiveness, the opposite, right? Reserving my right to repayment. You owe me. Now I'm going to pay you back. I want to look at a little bit of the different forms of payment as well. See, I love that it's financial because it's so clear to help you understand forgiveness. You wronged me. This is how much you owe. I clear this amount. You and me, we're good. But the problem is, has every sin committed against you been financial? How much is physical? How do you quantify spiritual damage? How do you quantify emotional damage? damage. But it's the same effect, right? You hurt me emotionally. You owe me this much and you deserve to pay. In some ways, it's just completely natural. And now we can think of big things maybe done to you, but even in our day-to-day conflict, maybe at work, maybe at home, how do we pay people back? Right? You can take revenge You can boldly, you sabotage me, I'm going to sabotage you. Right? You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. A lot of times we're a little bit more civil with our forms of repayment, right? I'm just going to be ice cold to you. You hurt me, and I'm going to hurt you by my withdrawal of love from you. 
I'm going to hurt you. By the way, I constantly bring it up. You deserve to pay. How do I make you pay? I always throw it in your face every chance I get. I hang it over your head. Oh, yeah, but remember. Or just cut each other down. You know, just say things to hurt them back. How common is that? But I don't think it just stops at revenge. We also move to people's reputations. I try to hurt you relationally because you hurt me. What else do I do? As Christians, we don't gossip. But hey, let me vent. Can I just vent to you a minute? And then what do we do? I do everything I can to destroy that person's reputation who hurt me. And that a form of repayment? If I can make everybody know how messed up you are, somehow I feel like you're having to pay a little bit now that everybody knows who you really are. I'll take vengeance, but I take some vengeance, right? Let me go vent and tear you down. And here's the sneaky one I think we need to be aware. You hurt me. And you deserve to pay. So you know I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to let that hatred grow in here. And I'm going to let roots of bitterness take a deep hold so you know how bad you hurt me. If we don't allow grace and forgiveness to water the soil of our souls, I promise you, roots of resentment will grow deep. Think of the silliness of it. We all do it. But does it actually work in any way? Am I repaying you back by clinging to the hatred of how you hurt me, by clinging to that bitterness? If you've never heard this, please hear it now. What is bitterness and resentment? It's me drinking a poison, hoping you die. Oh, you did that to me? Watch how I'll just let it eat me up. Somehow we think there's like justice in that by clinging to that bitterness, and resentment. And the silly part of it, right? I'm not actually paying you back. I'm not actually harming you. It's not helping anybody, but we do that. That is so much of our default. So what is forgiveness? I'm going to refuse all of that. I'm not going to try to ruin your reputation. I'm not going to hurt you back. I'm not just going to dwell on that hatred in my own heart. I'm going to refuse to hate you and even move towards caring about you. But man, is that difficult. Say, I know you hurt me, but me and you, we're all square. We're okay. And I think after that, like that's kind of a good definition, but God goes on to describe forgiveness beyond that in a helpful way. I was a... Writing this from a coffee shop, mostly because I heart coffee. And I write from coffee shops a lot. And this one coffee shop was looking for more workers. But they put on there, because they knew they had to, must be willing to start your shift at 3 or 4 a.m. Why are they doing that? Like, hey, we need to move forward, but let's get this out of the way, because we know this is kind of the thing that's going to hang us up. And I think the Bible goes into that. As it defines, hey, here's what forgiveness is. It's squaring up. It's letting it go. My right to repayment and revenge. But I think they know a question's going to pop up. Okay, God, that's nice. But what's the limit here? Like, can we set some, some healthy boundaries around this? And, and Jesus actually addresses that. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often 
Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. How do we define it? It's without limits. See, Peter, if you've ever heard this taught, he was, he was swinging for the fences. Kind of Jewish thought at the time was how many times do you forgive? Well, three. That's a good reasonable amount in relationships. If you make them mistake three times, all right, then we're on. And Peter, you know, he's, try, he's, he's thinking he's good. Like, you know what, this is Jesus here. He seems to be super into this forgiveness thing. I'm going to double it. And because it's Jesus, I'm going to add one more. So Jesus, what are we talking here? Are we talking like, are we talking like seven? And of course, Jesus blows it out of the water. I'm not talking seven. I'm talking 77. And don't you dare start counting. You're like, good, because my spouse, he on 76, and we about done. He hits 76 by noon every day. Let's get going. It's hard to actually know. Some people think it's 70 times 7. Like, oh, forget 490. So I figured 490 times. That. What's the point? There's not a limit. Right? How many times can this happen before I forgive? That's the same as like asking me, how many times can you go to Chick-fil-A before you're tired of it? Never! There's not a limit here. That's what he's saying. You think, okay, yeah, I know I should forgive, but come on, right? But this... This many times? Oh, that many times. Look, if you're counting, you're not forgiving. How have we seen this form of counting? Yeah, I'll forgive you, but it's the last time. It's the last time, no more. Is that not counting and putting them to 76? 77, we're done. He defines it letting go of your right to revenge and hate them and hurt them back. And that is without limit. And here's an interesting thing too. As he defines it, and here's the hard part, he also demands it. Look at this passage. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. I mean, this is the series right here, what we talked about. This is conflict resolution and if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you, say at church, must forgive him. And I left this line in here because I love that that's a response. And then the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Like, I ain't got it, though. I can put some on it. but <laughs> Right? And that's not the answer that you need to be a super Christian and have more faith. That's not the answer. This is difficult. He understands it but he does demand it. Does that sound like a nice option, like a nice recommendation? Or does that ring like a command? See, Jesus demands consistency, right? And he says, look, we're going to be consistent. How you treat others, that's how I'll treat you. Is that how to, and how do you want to play this? We can go the grace route or the revenge route. I mean, listen, this is Matthew 6. For if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive you your sins. 
I don't think this is one-to-one, like, oh, if I ever had unforgiveness, I'm not a Christian, I'm not forgiving. And I don't think you earn forgiveness by the, the way you forgive. But what Jesus is making the point, look, if you want to experience grace, you've got to embody it too. You can't have one or the other. If you want to have a life of bitterness, we can go that route. If you want to experience my grace, we can go that route. He defines it as, okay, look, I'm not trying to minimize what's been done to you. In fact, I want to do the opposite. I want to validate it, but help you find the road to freedom. And forgiveness is, we're okay. I'm letting this go. I'm not going to hold this against you. I'm not going to hate you for this. We're okay. I think part of what hangs us up, I think sometimes we confuse, we think forgiveness, God is saying more or less than he is. Like that's kind of a good running definition of the cross of forgiveness. But I do want to look at this for a while, what forgiveness is not. That is difficult. That is what God calls us to. But there are things he doesn't call us to. Look at this together. Forgiveness is not fully guaranteeing reconciliation. Like God provided the cross so that we can be reconciled, but not everybody experiences reconciliation. I want to show you a verse, hopefully that is freeing, that we could have used every single week. Look at this Romans verse together. If possible, so far as it depends on you, you live peaceably with all. Right? So each, I bet you, if you've been here all, all, you know, every week, you're probably like, yeah, but what if they don't do that? But what if they don't do that? I can do that, but what if they don't do that? Right? How do you confront? Yeah, I can confront people, but every time you've confronted somebody, do they say, thank you? Hallelujah. I'm so glad you told me about my sin. That's great. I repent. I don't know about your life, but it doesn't always play that way in mine, right? You can apologize, but that doesn't mean they will forgive. Somebody might not ask for forgiveness, but that doesn't mean you withhold it. It's an interesting thing. Is forgiveness conditional? I don't think it is. It says, if they repent, forgive, but they didn't repent, so I don't forgive. Okay, so they didn't repent, so you cling to bitterness the rest of your life? That's the plan, you think? Now... You always, I think, and Jesus on the cross, right? Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. They're not repenting, but he's forgiving them in turn. He's letting that go. Even if the person that hurts you does not ask for forgiveness, you don't have to cling to that. You can still let it go. Forgiveness, I think, especially forgiveness in your heart, should always happen. Reconciliation might not. Because I don't control both sides of the conflict. I only control me. They might not receive it. They might not apologize. They might not ask for forgiveness. But don't be a prisoner to that. I still have to do my part. So forgiveness isn't always possible. So my brother's biological father that did that, do I go seek reconciliation? Well, he passed away. So what do I do? Do I sit on that? Or, you know, it's not always possible. Sometimes I think reconciling a relationship could even be harmful. You think of some serious cases of abuse. Man, we might not move forward with a friendship with this. Like, like I need to forgive you in my heart. But it's reconciliation isn't always possible because of their response or because of other reasons. There still may be boundaries in place. So 
I think we need to understand this. Also, forgiveness is not forgetting. So we talk about God's forgiveness. It says that. He will remember their sins no more. So how do we define that? Does that mean almighty, omniscient God can't remember what you did? Like, wait a minute, what happened to you in college? I forget. Of course it can't mean that. But part of that is, is I'm not going to remember it in the sense that I'm not going to use it against you. But it doesn't mean I can't recall it. And so therefore, sometimes we want forgiveness. I'm sure this has been used against you. It's just like a fast-forward button. Hey, I did wrong, but you said you forgive me, so let's just fast forward, pass all the hard stuff, and just go back to the way it was. Uh, you got to understand, like forgiveness, and this is important, and trust are different things. I can forgive you instantly, but we may have to rebuild trust. That may take time. There may be boundaries we need to set in place moving forward, not to harm you, but so that we can both be healthy moving forward. So take the example of somebody wrecks your car. Say that somebody's your kid. So that kid slams the car and you say, I forgive you. And next day, here's the keys, buddy. Have fun. Well, no, that's silly. So it doesn't just mean forgetting and then going back down the same unhealthy roads. It means I'm not going to try to punish you and harm you for this. It might even be legal ramifications. Like maybe what was done to you was a crime. Wait, I forgave them. So does that mean that I shouldn't, you know, pursue that in any criminal way? No, you forgive them in your heart. And then you move forward in a healthy, loving way. Maybe you do that to protect other victims. Now you got to be careful in your heart. Am I doing this to get you back? Or am I really doing this? No, because I think this is a healthy boundary. Or I think this is something to protect other people. So it's not just forgetting. I beg of you. Here's the temptation, especially in our relationships. If you get a biblical apology and somebody gets to the point where they say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Please do not say, oh, don't worry about it. That's excusing it. Nobody is saying excusing what has been done to you. Oh, you know, I know you were stressed. I knew there is no healing in excusing. There's healing in forgiving. So I really want you to push yourself. When somebody apologizes to you, don't just brush it off. Oh, no, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. That's that's just excusing. That's not helping anybody. All right, two more of what forgiveness is not. One, it's not a feeling or an emotion. And I think this is important And I heard Keller say this, right? Forgiveness is most often granted before it is felt, but we want to feel it before we grant it. Listen to a quote that he says I think is really helpful. When you forgive somebody, you are not saying all my anger is gone. What you're saying when you forgive is I'm now going to treat you the way God treated me. I remember your sins no more. That doesn't mean I I can't actually recall them, It means I'm not going to act on the basis of them. They are not the controlling reality in my life. What is the controlling reality? The grace of God and the way in which, out of love, he controls history. So it's not a feeling. Stop waiting till you just feel better about it before you forgive. You can grant forgiveness. I've heard it said this way. It's often like buying a gift on credit. right? If I forgive you, 
and I buy that gift, you get it immediately. We're square, I'm not going to try to harm you. But that racked up a big debt, and it's going to take a while for me to pay that off. It's going to take a while for me to heal, and I don't constantly bring that up to hurt you, but I embrace it. And so make no mistake, forgiveness is not fair. Right? You hurt me. You deserve to pay for the damage that is done. And you want me to turn around and say, no, you don't have to pay. But here's what's interesting. Who pays? Keller says, right, forgiveness is voluntary suffering. Say somebody wrecked into your car. When you forgive, does that make your car better and the damage goes away? It's saying, this was your mistake, and I'm going to pay. Right? In with the king and the servant. When he forgave him, did that money just reappear? No. It's saying, look, I'm going to absorb the pain of this. Like the cross. It was your fault. I'm going to absorb the payment. So it's not just saying, you get off of this, whatever the payment is. It's saying, I'm not going to be the one to exact it. How do we do this, right? You hurt me, and I'll pay the price and not use it against you. And a couple passages, I think, get us to how we can do that. Look at Romans. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by, do so, so, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, it's not fair that they hurt you and you have to pay. But I'm not forsaking all justice. I'm forsaking my right to be the judge. I can't forgive them. There's no way they can just get off the hook. There's no way they can get away with what was done. And I promise you, they won't. Either they will repent and Jesus will pay, or they won't and they will pay. God will, as the king did, settle accounts. You can let it go. I'm not just letting you off the hook. I'm handing you over to God and saying, that's between you and him to deal with. You can rest in that and trust in that. What was done to you was real. And it will be squared up. You don't have to carry the burden. God's saying, let me handle that. And how do we do this? Some of you got to realize the choice that you're making. There are only two choices that I see laid out in this passage. You see the last line? You will either be overcome by evil or overcome evil with good. There's no just controlling that hate. There's no managing that hate and moving forward. It's either going to overcome you or you're going to overcome it with grace and forgiveness. Take your pick. Both are difficult. One is worth it in the end. So I was writing this sermon. One of our deacons walked by, and I put him on the spot. I'm like, why don't you forgive people? 
half a second. He's like, well, because I like to still have power over them because when they hurt me, I felt like a victim and I don't like that. And if I could hold over their head, I feel powerful. We're both like, oh, <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> I mean, just half a second he spits that out and is that not true? Why do we hold on to that? The hurt and the hate. Because I hate what you did to me and how it made me feel. And somehow this makes me feel powerful, like I'm over you if I can hold this over you. That's a lie. Where does the unforgiven person end? It's not powerful, it's prison. Right? When I hold on to that, I'm not paying you back. I'm not being powerful. I'm locking myself in a prison and handing the keys to the person that hurt me. Is that what you want to do? And I know it's difficult to forgive, but your only option of freedom is overcoming it with good and grace. Those are your two options. Ultimately, I want you to do it, so I want you to be free, but I even want a deeper, more simple, pure reason. How? Why do we forgive? I think we reach for the wrong thing and we root it in the wrong thing. I want to look at one more verse. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, it's funny. I was at that jump park, right? There's the rings. It remind me of that. Like the, you caught on that ring, right? Some of you are caught and unforgiveness, and you can't let go of what's been done to you. And we try to get away, and we reach for the wrong rung. What do we reach for to try to let go of this, whether you deserve it? We wrestle with it, but you don't deserve it. You didn't apologize enough. You didn't apo- you're not really repentant. You're not really going to change. And we reach for whether they deserve it, and it never squares up for what you did to me. You don't deserve this, and I'm not letting go. And we just sit there, just stuck. And we can't let go because we reach for the wrong rung. Don't forgive them because they deserve it. Forgive them because that's what God did to you. We have to go higher. It's not right. Of course it's not right. And if your goal is to just get what you have coming, well then you can stay in that prison of bitterness. But do you have a greater goal of glorifying God and sharing the gospel? You can't look at the person that harmed you and the thing that harmed you and squared up. Think about the parable. What if we just read the end? What if the beginning part with the bigger debt wasn't there? A guy was offended, somebody owes him a debt, and he seeks it out. That's natural. Until you pan out. Wait a minute. God forgave you everything, and you're still going to hold on to that something. It only makes sense in the light of the gospel. If I look at that massive thing that is done to me, I can't let it go until I realize the mountain of what God has forgiven me. Forgive them because Jesus forgave you and he asks you to. That has to be your motivation, your anchor to get through this, not whether they deserve it. And when you get to the gospel, you can get to that glorious place of freedom of I forgive you. I'm not going to sit in this prison anymore. 
You don't deserve it, but neither did I. And me and you, we're okay. You bow your heads and pray with me. Father, it is one thing to celebrate. It's one thing to just preach about. But God, as the apostles cried out, increase our faith. This is unbelievably difficult to do. God, would your spirit empower us to be reminded of the gospel, to be reminded, to be humbled by how you have forgiven us everything. Would today we find that freedom of forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.